1: Welcome listeners to episode 86 of the Ad Nauseam podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Winkle and I am here down in Vomitorium East with my good friend and a co-host David Noe. How are you doing tonight, Dave?
0: I'm doing real well. I learned something recently. What's that? The place we are recording. This is called Swan Lake.
1: Is it really called Swan Lake?
0: Yes, it really is. Right. Now, we see the cygnets yes. cruising around the water, chasing the geese and so forth. The lake has a name. It's Swan Lake, and it's it, idyllic, isn't it? It is
1: very nice. Isn't it also, that's like the one ballet name I know. Isn't it like Swan Lake? Isn't it a famous I, ballet? I
0: think it is a famous ballet. Yeah.
1: But I, I would never have known the name of this no. lake. Or even guessed that it had a name.
0: It has a name. Everything has a name. Yeah. It's like a locus amoenus, I think.
1: It is very much a locus amoenus. Right. right? It's too
0: beautiful. Yeah. Something terrible is going to happen in this location, like maybe a podcast. <laughs>
1: How are you feeling tonight, Jeff? I'm feeling good. I had a good week. I um, got to visit Chicago. Oh yeah, last week. Uh, my the son, windy apple. Well, the windy <laughs> apple. My son uh, graduated from eighth grade, and he wanted as his gift. He wanted, he's always wanted to go to the art museum there. Sweet. And I had not I have not been there for probably twenty years. It's a good antiquities collection, if I'm not mistaken. It's not bad. I mean, if you, I mean, if you compare it to. Um, I mean, some other museums around the country. It's, I haven't
0: been to the Met in New York, have Right.
1: You? I, I have not been to the Met either, no. but they have a decent uh, a Greco-Roman collection, but I mean, the, the, just the breadth of the, the stuff there. We, we were... My wife and my son and I were in there for about five hours. Incredible! It was it was great, and so my son is an aspiring sculptor painter. He's just fascinated by art. He's the guy that does great. the claymation stuff does too. Does claymations? And wow! All that kind of stuff. So he was absolutely fascinated by by it. And it so talent great. runs in the family. Yeah, on I think, like, the mother's side. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that is all, all of that to say is that I'm feeling good, I'm feeling yeah. rested and, and ready to go. Yeah. All right, yep. good. So what are we going to give the people tonight? Well, we're going to carry on our look at Virgil's Aeneid uh, Book 2. Book 2. Reminding the audience, uh, this is Dave's favorite yes, uh, it is. part of the Aeneid. Right? And in
0: fact, before we get to the shout out, mm-hmm. before we get to the opening quote, yeah. would you like a little anecdote?
1: Yes, give me an anecdote, would okay. you? Okay,
0: so it was uh, about the year 1995-96. Mm-hmm. I'm a young grad student at the University of Iowa. And a visiting scholar by the name of Vasily Rudich came to campus to lecture on the topic of Lucan. Now, Vasily Rudich taught at Yale from 84 to 95. I looked him up a little bit. He's the author of Political Dissidents Under Nero, The Price of Dissimulation. He's also the author of Religious Dissent in the Roman Empire, Violence in Judea at the time of Nero. Now, neither of these books have I read, but Mm -hmm. I want to now because... He's a fascinating scholar. And here's the anecdote. Yeah. Over supper, as we were talking about Roman poetry generally, he revealed to us, not in a braggadocious way, that he had memorized all of book two. Really? really Every line of the Latin of book two of the Aeneid. Did
1: you make him prove it? No. (laughs) In
0: hindsight, (laughs) maybe I should have. (laughs) But I was just dumbfounded. Yeah. Because he said it's, he said it is the most, you know, uh, gorgeous piece of latin poetry uh, words to this effect yeah that, that have ever been written he also said this was a shocking claim he said if i could have access to ovid's play the medea mm-hmm. ovid wrote a tragedy right the medea yeah. lost he said i would give up 10 years of my life really for for a chance to read ovid's lost wow. Medea. oh my gosh and i had to think about that and I, w- would i do that maybe if i could string together all the times i've watched you know a very special blossom <laughs> Or the Different Strokes <laughs> Reunion. If I could string all those times together, I'd give that up.
1: <laughs>
0: but I don't want to just lop 10 years off the end. No, no, no.
1: Exactly. That. If you could kind of... Compress you, it. If you could corral together all of that that time wasted. Right. Right. Exactly. Down when you're getting a new driver's license or something. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd happily give up that Sure, time, sure. Right? Yeah. To read Ovid's
0: Medea. Right. But I was just so impressed. This is an individual. I'd never heard the name before. A, a well-known classicist. This is an individual who really loves this literature. Yeah, it made a big impact on me.
1: That is. So do you think that was instrumental in kind of it, you calling this book also your favorite, or had you come to that conclusion before then?
0: Um, I think it was. I don't know if it's instrumental. It definitely helped. Yeah, definitely helped. Yeah. A, a small instrument, you know. Right. Maybe like a, um, you know, eyeglass screwdriver or something. Not, I, not like a jackhammer. No, no, no,
1: not. Yeah, not not a heavy industrial. No, equipment not right a big
0: now. instrument. But I thought, wow. It's possible to really love uh, Roman poetry and be
1: very dedicated to it. It was
0: an inspiring example. That's
1: amazing. I mean, just the, the just the idea of memorizing right. the entirety of these, um, what, like nine hundred lines in yes. this book or something it's phenomenal, it's phenomenal, right?
0: And I have memorized a little bit of poetry, but nothing like that. No,
1: so. I think we talk, I, I the uh, my first grad school assignment was to memorize the That's first right 150 lines of the Iliad. Yes, and then perform them and comment. That's incredible. On them. It, it was it was awful. And I quickly flushed it out of my brain once the assignment was done, but I never tried to.
0: Yes, but the the important thing, Jeff, is it led to an episode of Ad nauseum. It did. Back to the nine things I hated about grad school. I mean, it, was in,
1: it was in there. I think we something mentioned that. Something like that. <laughs> so yeah, if I, that was sowing the seeds for something very important yes. down the line. Okay, yeah. the shout out. Yeah, who does that go to today?
0: So this goes to a man by the name of Rodney Kroom. Rodney Kroom is another one from uh, the Pacific region.
1: Or huge there.
0: Yeah, he's from uh, Hobart, Tasmania. I think he's the first Tasmanian
1: that we know of who's listening to the show. It's the first Tasmanian I've ever had any kind of contact interaction with. with. Yeah, right. Now, but Tasmania is an island off the south coast, the southeast
0: of the... coast of the uh, Australian uh, continent. Right. Yes, and so uh, Rodney says uh, regarding the Pacific, because in our in our correspondence, I said words to the effect of. Uh, the Pacific is really well represented in our recent shout outs. And you mentioned it's uh, Oceana.
1: Oceana. Right, right. Yeah.
0: And he said, it's winter here. So oh, yeah, picture snow-capped mountains. Rodney's a poet, apparently. Mm. Picture snow-capped mountains and pedestrians shivering in the rain rather than the palm trees and sun-kissed beaches
1: i see so he's they're suffering through winter right now and, yeah right and uh but uh around the around the bend in a few months they'll have the that's right back yeah
0: but their suffering is shivering in the rain yeah ours is shoveling eight feet of snow <laughs> so not a lot of sympathy <laughs> for me but no no rodney no. thank you so much yeah. for listening to the podcast that's
1: great yeah and for the kind words you yes. sent along yeah that's wonderful and uh, for
0: contacting us and uh, we're really appreciative of it.
1: yes this. thank you rodney
0: and Jeff, I believe you have the opening quote for us tonight. Here's a opening you like it.
1: Yes. So um, as I was uh, reading the rest of book two in preparation for this, um, I was reminded of this is, I don't know if I would say it's one of my favorite scenes because it's so dark, mm-hmm. but one of the most powerful pieces of literature that I have ever encountered in, in, in Greek or in Latin is the death of Priam. Right. It, it's, it's, I think it's in some ways it is the, the lowest point in um, in in this book
0: now. Before you read the quote, yeah. can, can I ask? Can you summarize as succinctly as possible what is it about Priam's death that moves you?
1: It's one detail, and I remember when I read this for the first time in um, as an undergraduate. Um, it's when Priam is uh, being killed, and he uh, Virgil gives the detail that he slips in the blood of his own son. Mm. It's and I, he's he's just seen, and we'll talk about this. He's just seen his his own son murdered in front of him. And then one of his last physical acts is to slip in the blood of his. Son. And I, I just I, that just gives me chills. It's, uh, it's so horrifying, hmm. um, but it's so darkly beautiful. Yeah. Too, in some in some way. Yeah.
0: The one thing that struck me was that uh, Priam suited up before uh, Neoptolemus Pyrrhus. Yeah. Approached. He pulled down some old weaponry from the walls right. and puts it on. You know, like an old combat veteran saying. Well, I know I'm feeble, and this is going to be ineffective, but I have to make do. And his wife mocks him at that point, yeah, right? Hecuba yeah. mocks him, and so it's such a picture of of courage in the face of um,
1: you know such
0: feebleness.
1: Yes, and, and it's, it's pathetic in in, it in the in the root meaning of Correct, that word, the word. Correct,
0: right? the strong pathos. I found yeah. that very moving as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a brutal scene front to back. Yeah, yeah. So the opening quote. The opening quote. This is from an article called "The Death of Priam" uh, by one Robert Sklenar. And this goes back to 1990 from the journal Hermes. He writes, The death of Priam is indisputably one of the great Virgilian set pieces, but Virgilian criticism has so far served it poorly, according it more reverence than attention. One of the few discussions that treat the Priam episode, most tend to, or of the few discussions that treat the Priam episode, most tend to exhaust themselves in a chaotic search for a single unifying problem, which once confronted might surrender the scene's entire wealth of meaning. Although Richard Hines was right to observe that Priam's death replicates the fall of Troy, the symbolism that identifies Priam as the corporeal expression of his kingdom invites further questions about the significance of Neoptolemus as Priam's foil, of Aeneas as narrator of Hecuba, of the scene's poetic structure. So, so then I can I just interrupt here a little yep. bit? I'm getting lost a little bit
0: in the the heavy academic prose. Yeah, can you ex- explain a little bit what what this means here, Richard Hines? Ah uh, Priam's death replicates the fall of Troy, yes. and the symbolism the the, the three parts there.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think what he's saying is that he's saying, in the the broadest sense, uh, critics have have treated this scene with reverence. Okay, and it's, it's almost like it's untouchable. Okay, Heinz went further and said, no, we, the, the Priam's death it kind of represents the it's the final nail in the coffin for Troy. Okay, and what Sklenar is saying is says we need to even look even closer. It's not just about Priam's death. It's about Neoptolemus's role and uh, kind of the echoes of meaning and and symbolism there. It's okay. So, so Aeneas is, is narrating. He's watching this. All right. His, his wife is there. So okay. there's all these different perspectives.
0: So Neoptolemus or Pyrrhus, mm-hmm. the son of Achilles, yes. and the one who succeeds in slaughtering Priam, yes. All right, So that's clear. Then the next part, Aeneas as narrator. Aeneas is narrator, right? What's it, What does this mean?
1: Well, I think he he's um what Sclanard goes on in the article to kind of um to explore is that we're not getting this scene as um it's not a third person narrator it's an om- it's not an omniscient poet telling us the story it's, mm. it's, it's aeneas is telling the story to dido but he's not telling he's telling it because he watched this before right. his very eyes and that adds kind of again another layer of pathos there that he's saying most critics ignore uh, yep
0: so it's like being an observer in the theater yes he's a front row seat
1: front row seat right and he's and he's um uh, almost uh well, we can talk about this, but it seems like he's almost frozen. He's almost, he's helpless. Yes. Uh, he can't do anything about this. Like
0: seeing something in a dream. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the third part, um, the significance of Hecuba.
1: I'm not sure what, what Scleaner is is getting at. I mean, I read the article a couple days ago. I I, it didn't strike me as that was a huge part of his argument. But, um, I mean, his wife also has an attendant to the, the horrors here. Um, I think largely what he's saying is that to fully kind of appreciate the scene, you you can't just focus on prime. You have to focus on all these other people involved in the scene, watching the scene to kind of get the layers of its meaning. Okay. And
0: I interrupted you, but can you read just the last quote of the opening quote? Because it's nice.
1: Yeah. So he says, all of these things are not isolated matters, but part of a thematic intarsia. There you go. Yeah. Intarsia. Is that that how you say it? Yeah. I think it's intarsia. Intarsia, the, the layer, the inlaid nature of it, right? Yeah. Intarsia
0: and in Jane.
1: So... (laughs) (laughs) In... <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry
1: uh, intarsia whose elaborate beauty still awaits full appreciation yeah.
0: so an intarsia is um you, you've got a, a, a flat piece of wood yeah and you um you sculpt out of it you know you you make a substrate and you make a pattern it's like a parquet floor yeah. but in an object of furniture right it's something i've never done but always wanted to do
1: it looks they... looks difficult. Yes, and when done well, it's, it's it can be stunning.
0: It's a lot of sanding, a lot of coping saw, right? Very careful fitting,
1: right? It makes me think of the. Um... The floor at the Boston Garden, the mm. Celtics play on, right? The parquet floor is, yes. is, is full of in intarsia. In I didn't know that. Yes, yes. Have you been watching the NBA finals? No, I haven't watched the NBA in probably about 20 years. But, oh, okay. But uh, I know about Ever the Ever since
0: you from. retired from the game? <laughs>
1: exactly right. <laughs> so that's Robert Sklenar. Yep.
0: And uh, the death of Priam.
1: The death of Priam. So I don't know, in, in the intervening 30 plus years, if, if um, in his uh, estimation... Uh, people have fully appreciated it, but maybe Mr. Slanner thinks that he's the only one who fully appreciates. This, so <laughs> I doubt that. But we're going to try
0: tonight. Yes, we're going to try tonight to advance the audience's appreciation for this
1: great scene—the yep. death of Priam—and others. So, what are we giving the people? Well, we're going to—well, we'll do our best. We—we we, uh, whenever we make promises about what we're going to cover, we always break to them, them. We break them all the time. Right. We'll
0: but, cover 400 lines. Right. Three lines later, it's the end of the program. <laughs> yeah.
1: We're going to do our best to get to the end of okay. Book Two, um, but no promises, that, because there's so many. The incredible set pieces. The uh, we're going to start with the death of Leocahn. We've got um, the uh, the storming of the citadel and right. Prime's palace. The death of Prime, of course. The um, the dragging away of Cassandra. Right. So there's all kinds of, of of horrible and wonderful things happening. The
0: almost death of Helen.
1: The almost death of Helen. Right.
0: Right. And we have one avid audience member uh, whose initials are RM, mm-hmm. who's always telling us, "Hey, slow down. Let me nerd out on the material. Right. Don't uh, you know? Don't go too fast." But course we can't just please him
1: no but are, you, are you suggesting that we should kind of walk down uh, mr m's path tonight or well yeah.
0: i think we should you know um we should take our time okay this yeah. this great literature is not going to appreciate itself
1: that's right you know <laughs> you're right there's no need to
0: rush no right for the sake of of, of getting through it so we're right.
1: picking up in book two
0: yes we're at the uh, appearance of hector to aeneas is that where we're, we're starting out here
1: yeah do we did not get to that last time did okay we? right so um, we finished up the actor Sinon. Yes, right. Um, who's involved in the elaborate ruse to right. get the horse into the city. Right. Um, and then, so Aeneas spends a lot of this book uh, kind of on the knife edge of indecision. or right? yes. He doesn't know what to do.
0: Running hither and yon in a, in a darkened city.
1: Right. What really struck me about this, this book is that um, it seems to, clear to me that Aeneas in telling his own story, it wasn't necessarily obvious to him that I'm in charge now. Oh, right I you see. know so like like he's 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 necessarily going to be the heir apparent. I mean, Hector is dead, right? Hector appears to him. Um, but Priam is still alive when um, when Hector appears to him. So it's this uh, this this idea that you know Aeneas isn't kind of say, yes, I'm in command. I'm going to lead the the refugees right. out. But he has leadership thrust upon him,
0: right. So this question of leadership with Aeneas uh, takes us back to the Iliad, actually. Okay. And I think this is what uh, Virgil is picking up on psychologically. So book 13 of the Iliad, this is a Johnston's translation, uh, we're introduced, introduced to Diophobus, mm-hmm. one of Priam's sons. As he thought about his options, as Diophobus thought about his options, he thought his best plan was to find Aeneas. He met Aeneas standing at the back among the crowd, for Aeneas, who excelled among the warriors, always resented Priam, for not showing him enough respect. Oh. So you've got you've got the whole plot right there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, Virgil, yeah. as a very careful reader of Homer, probably had much of Homer memorized, frankly. Right. He picks up on that, right? So there's the psychology of Aeneas' motivation. I'm as good as any of these Trojans, even Hector, but I never get any
1: respect. Right. He's the Rodney Dangerfield of the <laughs> Trojans. <laughs> That's so interesting. I love that detail. And so, you know, in book two, you know, he he's told. You know, his destiny twice. Right. You know, right. Hector tells him in this in this ghostly appearance. Right. And then his wife at the very end says this to him. And so it's uh it has he has to have two people kind of tell him it's you. Yes, to prod him and
0: goad him along. Yeah. Because uh the resentment alone wasn't enough. He needs some external motivation.
1: It strikes me as almost biblical, right? Is it that you know oh, yeah. Aeneas is kind of the unlikely right. hero. He, he's like he's a Gideon, he's a David. Or Jacob even. Right. right. Oh yeah, yeah, right.
0: The, the second born, who's it, you know, uh, a trickster and not not really born to the role of you know founder of the people. Yeah. but he's eventually brought there. Yeah. through yeah. a series of you know providential arrangements. Right,
1: right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's great stuff. shall hmm. Should we uh, should we talk about the death of Leo? Korn? We, have to. we have to. Right. <laughs> so right after Cynan finishes his his tale, um Remember Laocoön, the, the priest, he's the one that says, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I fear, I fear Greeks, uh, even when they're, when they're bringing gifts. That's right. He throws this spear that lodges in the side of the, the, uh, the Trojan horse and kind of sits there, uh, uh, you know, kind of wavering. Um, and then uh, after Sinon finishes his kind of his long dramatic tale, uh, we see Laocoön. he's at an altar and he's sacrificing a great bull to Neptune. Yes. And um, suddenly these two great serpents come coiling out of the sea. From the direction of Tenedos, the island where um, Virgil has told us that, that the, where the Greeks are hiding. Mm. And they come onto the shore and they snatch up Laocoon and his two sons and um, mm. drag them to their watery deaths. Yeah, and wolf them down. Right. A, a short, meaningless anecdote here. Do you, know, uh, uh, do you know the band R.E.M.? Yes. Are you a, f- a fan or no?
0: No. No? Okay. <laughs> no. I kind of like the... Uh, I haven't listened to them in years. I kind of yeah. like the sound a yeah. little bit that the band makes, but I don't really like that style of music, and I can't stand the vocals.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay. Michael Stipe, right, is yes. the singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I just find his voice so whiny. I can, I can understand that. There's right? no, there's no timbre, no
1: richness. Gotcha. Well, I am a fan. I figured, and, ba- and back in back the back in the day um, when I was in college, I was, I was a massive fan. Oh, really? And one of the things I liked about Michael, Michael Stepp, I mean, hes a—he's an oddball and he writes odd lyrics. I, yes, I kind of like that. Okay, um, but he'll often throw in these classical references. He talks about the Furies and and uh, makes Homeric references here and there. And there's a song off the uh, their album *Murmur* it goes back to 1982 or so. Great really? album, and it's a song called *Laughing*. And the opening line is he sings, um, "La on. And her two sons, and then it kind of, kind of, got, guys it goes into kind of meaningless, kind of jibber jabber. And okay. But that line has always struck me. You know, being a classicist, you know, what's he talking about there, and why is it her two sons, right? right? And so it, the the song has always kind of mystified me. So
0: you traveled to where Stipe lives, in Georgia, or down somewhere, to Athens, like, Georgia, to, and, of, to ask and knock down his door. Excuse me, Mr. Stipe. Uh, What's the deal with her two
1: sons? <laughs> I did the lazy approach to the same idea was I checked the internet occasionally if, if he had been interviewed about this song because I was kind of curious what was he thinking right, right. I finally found an interview okay, where somebody asked it. him and said you know who is this, this Leókua one and he said oh yeah is this uh, this priest who gets um who gets killed by these two serpents it's a, it's a great story um and that interview I said but a priest so it's a he and he goes uh yeah I just changed the gender for the fun of it. <laughs> So, I had always been thinking like he had meant something kind of, you know, deep and meaningful and interesting there, but no, no, he was just kind of... Goofing, yeah, right. Interesting. So I waited, you know, twenty-five years to find that. <laughs> Worth the wait? <laughs> uh, I'd say it was a little bit of a letdown. Are they producing any more? You know,
0: I'm using scare quotes here. Yeah. Music.
1: Arium <laughs> uh, disbanded about uh, eight years ago. Oh, what a shame! They came that yes, they came to a decision, a mutual decision, that it was time to step away. Okay, right.
0: right. So back to the death of Leokuan. <laughs>
1: yes. All right. You want to you want to read us some Latin here?
0: Yes. You want me to start at two o nine. Two o nine. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Fit sanatus spumanta selo yam quarweteneebant arden tisquacolos sufecti sanguinet igni. Sibila lambe bantlinguis linguis vibrantibus ordra. Difugimus vi sex sangue se certo. La ocoant petunt et primum parva du ordrum. Corpora natordrum serpens amplexus uterque. Implicat et miserros morsu de Pascatur artus.
1: Wonderful. Right. Uh, and bloody. Very bloody. Violent. Right. And I remember my uh, my Latin prof, when I first read this, kind of pointed out all the S sounds. Yes, right? the sibilance, it's right? The sibilance, yes. Sonatus to... spumanti salo. Right. It's supposed to put us in mind of the snakes. Yeah, it's wonderful. Here's Lombardo's translation of that. They were almost ashore, their eyes, they being the serpents, their eyes were shot with blood and fire, and their tongues hissed and flickered in their open mouths. We scattered, pale with fear, as the sea snakes glided through the sand straight for Laocoon, First, they entwined the priest's two sons in great looping spirals, and then they sank their fangs into the boy's wretched bodies and began to feed <laughs> uh, Isn't that awful? <laughs> I'm cowering over here. All right, It was just a little bit more, kind of beyond the Latin, yeah. which you read. Uh, then they seized Laelkoan as he ran to their aid, weapon in hand, and lashed their scaly bodies twice around his waist and twice around his neck. Their heads reared high. Ooh, <laughs> that's brutal. Yeah, that's great. Right. Yeah. So again, the 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 ironies and the reversals here, it, you can see why it would be easy for the Trojans to think they the gods just punished him right. for throwing the spear into the side of the horse. That's right. And so they would they would conclude then, therefore we should accept this gift. Correct. And immediately after the snakes do their damage, they they
0: uh, they slink off and they shelter. Um, at the Shrine of Minerva. Yeah, oh, that's at the, right. At the foot of the statue. Yeah. So it's more divine providence, right? The gods are trying to tell us something. Yes, 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 right. yes.
1: Yeah, and um, it's and it's just in, from, uh, um, you know, the bird's eye view that we have, it's just so cringing that we see the Trojans right. just kind of taking these steps towards their own doom.
0: Yeah, they're so duped. It's providential misdirection. Yep. So now we get to talk about the statue group.
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorites of all time.
0: I think I've seen it, I think four four times, maybe
1: five. I'm about the same for me, yeah. but it's one of those that you could stand in front of for a very long time and just in taking all of the, right. the nuances. It's a disturbing statue.
0: Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Let me read from this uh, esteemed scholarly source, uh, uh, Mr. W.I. Kapidia. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, you yeah. You know it's a, W. Kapidia? Oh, is that untouchable? That's right. Yeah.
0: The statue of Leocco and his sons, also called the Leocco Group, the Italian Gruppo de Leocco <laughs> has been one of the most famous ancient sculptures ever since it was excavated in Rome in 1506. Hmm. Who was in Rome in 1506? 1506. That's Hmm, Michelangelo
1: Buonarroti? Oh, that guy. That guy. Raphael II. Yes.
0: And it was placed on public display in the Vatican Museums where it remains. It is very likely the same statue that was praised in the highest terms... By the main Roman writer on art, Pliny the Elder, hmm. or Pliny, as Dennis Miller calls him. Pliny. The figures are near life-size, and the group is a little over six feet in height, showing the serpent, sorry, the Trojan priest Laocoon and his sons. Did you know they have names? I didn't know this. Yes, this is not from Virgil, but elsewhere. Antiphontes and Thymbrayas being attacked by sea
1: serpents. Those poor guys, it's the only thing they're, they're famous for. That's right. being strangled by snakes. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, uh, I'm trying to think of a... Uh, I'm trying to think of an analog of someone who's famous for just one, one really bad one really,
1: thing. Uh, on, have you heard of um, the um, the little person Eddie Goodell? No, who uh, the um, the promoter of the White Sox. Okay, um, was was famous for his gags. Okay, um, he sent in this 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 little person, like three foot five guy. Okay, uh, up to bat with a plastic bat. Uh, uh, because he knew that the, his strike zone would be so small that he would get a walk. Right. And he got the walk, and he went to first base and got a pinch runner. It's the only thing that guy huh. was ever known for.
0: Or how about the guy that um, – you're a baseball fan. So the guy in Wrigley Field who interrupted, interfered with the catching oh, of the foul ball. Steve
1: Bartman. Is that his name? Yes, that poor sap.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing he <laughs> did, and he cost the, the uh, Cubs the World Series, right?
1: Uh, potentially,
0: yes. Okay. Right,
1: yes. Um Oh, one of the big poor the guy. The poor guy had to go into hiding.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he was so hated. Yeah, or maybe the Dutch kid who stuck his finger in the dike.
1: Oh, what was his name? I
0: don't know. Hans probably. Hans van something probably.
1: <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's what we got here. That's yeah.
0: Antifondis and Timbrias. Right. But the really interesting thing about this story, and you know, maybe we'll dedicate a gurgle to it. Yeah. Is that Michelangelo was in Rome at the time, uh, working for the Pope uh, Julius, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, and uh, so he was called in right away when this thing was dug up. And, you know, what do you think of this? And he immediately recognized this is a Hellenistic masterpiece. This is phenomenal. And uh, Laocoon, writhing in pain there between his sons, uh, was used by Michelangelo as the model for The painting of christ in the last judgment which is inside the sistine chapel right right sitting on that throne
1: on the altar on the altar wall that's correct he's he's lifting up the righteous with his right hand and he's he's, uh, pushing down the the damned with his left that's right yeah this um, was
0: the inspiration the the musculature on the torso it's really a phenomenal statue.
1: It is. And it's, and it's in that, that goriest of Hellenistic style. right? Yes. Where it kind of- it, Ultra it, realistic. Ultra realistic. Detail for deal, detail's sake. And so, you know, uh, Laequan's head is twisted back in agony. Right. His sons are looking kind of pathetically to their father for, for help that he cannot right. give. Uh, it's so if it's you incredible. Have, yeah. If you
0: have an extra $500 lying around, buy a ticket to Rome- <laughs> Go to Rome. You know, you can have the breakfast at the hotel, but make sure you get to the Vatican Museum. Absolutely. Skip the line and go see this and then fly home. It's worth worth the flight.
1: And and I think in that same courtyard, the Apollo Belvedere That's right right. right across the way there too. Yeah, it's it's, breathtaking. All right. So he's gone. That's it. He's gone. He's dead. Yep. The Trojans uh, misinterpret the scene. That's right. And uh, the next part of the, uh, the next stage of the wheel will turn. And they, and they drag the horse
0: into the city now. I love this detail a lot because i think it shows exactly how clever the greeks were in order to get the horse inside the city what did they have to do to the walls
1: they had to take them apart that's
0: right so you know what happened this is the krizak translation uh, line 235 we broke the city open then laid ramparts bare Preparing for the work, hooves rolled beneath that mare. On wheels and hemp reins roped her neck, machine of doom. She climbed the city streets with weapons in her womb. Hmm. That's pretty good. So Not that bad. So the horse was approximately, I don't know, I like to think of it as, the horse is, you know, about 12 inches wider than the largest gate. Yeah. You know that Odysseus had to stand there looking at the walls thinking, yeah, I think it's about, you know, it's maybe 14 and a half. Let's make the horse... 16 feet. Yes. So they have to take, they have to undo the walls to get the horse in. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Exactly. You ever moved a couch to the second, you know, second floor of some uh, apartment of a friend or your own place? Oh, it's brutal. It is brutal. The
1: geometry involved. It's incredible. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you have to think that the people who make those couches, you know, they look at the front door and they think, let's just make it about 12 inches wider. (laughs) then the door, so nobody can possibly, <laughs> nobody
1: possibly do it right. without
0: breaking their back. Right. you know? It takes five guys to turn that couch around. And...
1: Yeah. So this is what the Greeks did. It, it did. It, so another kind of uh, incredible small little detail That's to, right. this, to this this plan. Right. Like, so the horse is in the city and yeah. all havoc breaks loose. Right. So after dark, the, um, the Trojans have gone to sleep. They think everything's done. Um, celebrations uh, are in order. Um, but uh, in the deep, uh depth of the night the the greeks drop from the horse that's right um ulysses and a number of others are named by aeneas there right and they open up the gates and then all the greeks that had been waiting um off the island of tenedos are ready to storm the place
0: that's right now we don't really get the description here of helen's involvement we have to go back to the odyssey right book four how helen approached the the horse and imitated the voices of the men's wives, yeah. how she knew they were in there and how she could do all their voices. Helen is like the rich little of uh, antiquity, you know, right. with the endless impersonations. Uh,
1: she, she She's lying. Okay. I think she's completely lying. And then, you know, I think in, uh, Menelaus kind of corrects her in that in that scene. But she presents herself- Oh,
0: she's lying to pretend she's on the side of the-
1: Yes. Well, she, she's, I mean, I think she's lying, well, I think for a number of reasons, but I think uh, I think Homer's also trying to kind of present her as a kind of sorceress okay. as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, Aeneas does not mention that particular detail. No. No. Um, You're going to read some of the uh,
0: Lombardo here about this event?
1: Yeah. Lombardo translates. The sky turned and night swept up from ocean, enfolding in its great shadow earth and heaven and the Myrmidon's treachery. The Trojans spread out along the wall, were dead silent now, now, slumber entwining their weary limbs, and the Argy fleet started to sail from Tenedus through the silent, complicit moonlight making for sho- making for the shore they knew all too well the flagship raised a beacon and at this signal Sinon, cloaked by the gods unjust decrees stealthily unlocked the pine trap door and the horse released from its open wound womb the enclosed danines glad to push themselves out of the hollow oak into the cool night air the sandras and stenalus and grim ulysses sliding down the rope Acamas and thoas achilles son neoptolemus great machaon menelaus and Epios himself, the fabricator of the insidious horse. They fanned out through a city, drowned in sleep, slit the guards' throats, opened all the gates, and joined as planned the invading Greeks. Hmm. That's another beautiful passage. I mean, it's it's Lombardo's poetry here. He did a good job. It's a beautiful passage.
0: Oh, it's, it's sublime in the original, but it's quite good in this English, I'd have to say. Yeah. So what do you think? Are there laws that govern war, and rightly so? Is this fair? Is this cowardice? Is this treachery? If you're Aeneas, are you upset not just because your city is falling, but, you know, because they're cheating?
1: I think there's something to that. I mean, we've talked in the last couple of episodes about um, kind of this Roman view of deceit as kind of an inherent um, immoral action, right? Right. And so I think I I mean I hear it in kind of Aeneas's description. Like, you know, he, he he mentions Epeos, I mean the guy that even made the horse is coming out of it, right? And so he's kinda of, I think he's disgusted by the trick, but also in kind of embarrassed that okay. the Trojans have fallen for it. Um, and then we'll t- we'll talk about it in a little bit, you know, when the the Trojans themselves try some deceit on trying to escape from the city, trying to fight in the city, it completely backfires on them. Right. And so I just think that, you know, the the Trojan view of things is is it's noble but it's a bit naive yeah
0: it's roman of course
1: it's roman right yeah 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 but it's um it's noble but that nobleness comes with kind of an inability with a um a tendency to be outwitted yeah
0: yeah so why don't you meet us on the open field of battle you know why not uh Meet man to man. Let's have an actual fight, not this
1: sneaking and skulking around, snake like. Right. I think Ulysses would say, "We tried that for ten years. Right. Time for something new. Yeah. Right. But he has no morals. Ulysses has no scruples. No.
0: Uh, he loves his wife, but he'll do anything for a victory.
1: Right. I think there's also the sense that you know, so Achilles has died at this point. You know, he's 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 gone, and um. I mean, there's a, a strong. You don't
0: mean you don't mean Achilles, do you? Achilles is dead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I- Achilles is. He dies before the the horse, right? He okay. dies in the pl- plains, and so I think there's definitely this sense that Ulysses, Odysseus, um, picks up the mantle. Okay. Says now I'm in charge. We we tried Achilles' way for 10 years. We went now. With, now we're gonna do it my way. Right. We went with uh, brawn.
0: Now we're gonna go with brains. We're gonna go with brains. Mm-hmm. That's
1: right. Well, um, before we get uh, further into the city, into the into the the horrors of this, should we break for the ads, Dave? Is it about that time?
0: I think we need to have some incongruous sort of statement here, like we've made in the past. Okay. Like Speaking of grizzly,
1: yeah, right, it's okay. time
0: for the ads. Do you have one at the ready? No. no. <laughs> so just say a little bit more, and something will come to me. Okay. What All about right. what about the dangers of deceit?
1: Yeah. Before we get into that, it, yes, it, it, it reminded me of that. Uh, um, I think Virgil such a great poet. That um, the the Greeks arriving from Tenedos are I think we're supposed to see them as kind of it's they're like the serpents. Ah. So the serpents that came to get Laocoön and now the Greeks are coming for everybody. So again, Laocoön is kind of a stand-in for Troy. Right. And so they're arriving, you know, coiling in from the same yes. place to do something on a grander scale.
0: Right. So last week we had four mooing. Yes. <laughs> this could be like four snaking. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yes, four snaking. And okay. speaking of four snaking, it's yeah. time for the ads.
1: Let's do it. This episode of Ad Nauseam is brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Ratio Coffee, uh, Mark Helwig and his crack team of coffee experts, they've done it. Um, they have created these wonderful machines that can sit on your countertop and shame every other appliance in your house. They're beautiful works of art, and they produce tremendous cups of coffee. That's right. Morning after morning. That's right. Yep. Yeah, Mark
0: asked himself a simple question, given all the advances in brew technology in uh, Coffee shops and so forth. How come the home coffee maker has been trapped in the dark ages?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I was th- when we were first talking about getting them as a as a, as a sponsor or, or seeking them out, and thinking about kind of the history of coffee, you would think that I remember you know back in the '90s and when you know the kind of Seattle culture was, in, it seemed like well, hasn't that been done to death? You know, right. I, you know, a coffee shop in every corner. You know, right. Blar, blar blocks
0: and all, and all those <laughs> all those guys. Barstucks. Barstucks, right? But ball.
1: you, Weeks, know, uh, genius was. Let's bring it into the home. That's right. Take it off the street corner.
0: Really high quality. Yeah. Now you, you've upgraded to the eight recently. Have, yeah. T- tell us about that experience.
1: Very happy with it. it it's a it's a beautiful machine. Um, the carafe is this hand-blown glass work of art borosilicate borosilicate not just borrow not just silicate borosilicate Borosilicate, both of those together that's right right i just love the way it pours it's such an elegant machine it is right i I feel like i'm not good enough for it (laughs) i wish my washing machine could live up to that kind of standard (laughs) i mean what an
0: ugly piece of junk sitting there you know yeah what is the washing machine maybe mark should get on that you know the ratio 25 washing machine yeah because he'd make it look beautiful, he like would. this coffee machine. Exactly.
1: My, so my ratio, it sits like right above my dishwasher. Okay. And that dishwasher just looks sad, and <laughs> grumpy, and unwashed. Yeah. Ah, yeah. uh, that's how it goes. But you've, you've got uh, you got some walnut accents. Walnut accents, uh, the the stainless steel finish, oh, perfect, uh, and the glass borosilicate carafe. It's now, now, which wonderful. of
0: your children is going to inherit this when when you pass on to glory?
1: Oh, this this will be in my casket with me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So let's
0: say the uh, the audience wants to get uh, wants to get some of this coffee action. What, yeah. what do
1: they need to do? Well they gotta, got they got to go to ratiocoffee.com, r a t i o coffee.com and they can select either the 6 or the 8 whatever is, you know, whatever your vibe man. That's right. <laughs> um, whatever is your vibe man. <laughs> and if
0: 15%? 15 per, 15% off. Don't they have to enter a coupon code? Yes,
1: they have to enter in ANCO89, uh, which will be a code good until the end of this month. That's right, until uh, June, June 30. June 30. And you'll get 15% off um, one of these, or both, if you want these, these great machines. Check it out.
0: This episode of Ad Nauseum is also brought to you by Hackett Publishing, H-A-C-K-E-T-T. Hackett Publishing, who have been with us from the very beginning of this little podcast, have supported the classics, they have refused to let the classics be canceled or pushed back onto the shelf... They've said, no, we're going to support the classics and we're going to publish some fantastic works to help you in your study of the classics. Jeff, yep. without mentioning the covers. Oh, I can't mention the covers this no, time. No, which yeah. we know you love. Yes. The Euripides, Bacchae, I'll mention them. The moon landing on the uh, the Odyssey mm-hmm. and the Normandy for the Iliad and the Vietnam War Memorial for the Aeneid. Yeah. You can't do any of that, Jeff. I
1: can't. What do you like about <laughs> Hackett? Uh, I'll say, I'll say uh, affordable. All right. Right? I right. You'd be hard-pressed to find um uh, a a collection of th- these kinds of works at a at a better price. Yes,
0: but usually affordable means junk. Like yeah. if you buy the generic peanut butter, there's real chalk mixed in.
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. You know what I'm Talk, talking about? Uh,
0: vitamin K. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the Cheerios, you know? <laughs> yeah. They are like a cardboard os if you buy the generic kind. <laughs> right, right, right. So that's what we're getting with Hackett, no, right? N- not at affordable all. means
1: trash. No, no, no. They, they they found a way to kind of thread this needle that affordable Um, doesn't, doesn't have to mean that it can mean you can get a high quality translation at a very agreeable, affordable price, but only one
0: translator per major work.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, that's where I can hack it kind of be uh, like the, like the gates of Troy wide open. Um, (laughs) Although in a happy kind of way, <laughs> um, lots of bringing literary destruction into your home. <laughs> That's right, right. So, no, many different trans- translators for for the same work. You can choose. You can pick and choose what you what you want to me. So, even in this podcast, we're, we're we're using Lombardo's translation, and the other one is what? Creuzat. Krizak's translation for
0: Ovid, You've got Lombardo yep. and the Ambrose translation. Mm-hmm. They have multiple copies of uh, Plato's Republic by different translators. The new Aristotle series. All right. So let's get let's cut to the chase yep. here. The listener wants to get some high quality, affordable uh, translations of the classics and other works. What are they going to do?
1: They're going to go to HackItPublishing.com. They're going to search through their wonderful, amazing catalog, find the works they want, put them in their little satchel, and type in the the coupon code AN2022. And that will get them two wonderful things, 20% off your order and free shipping.
0: That's incredible. Check it out.
1: This episode of Ad Nauseam also brought to you by Pop City Popcorn, our newest, uh, our latest and greatest, not greatest, but uh, a wonderful sponsor. <laughs> They're pretty great. They're pretty great.
0: Of all the popcorn that we promote on
1: this podcast, it's, this it's is a, by far the best. By far the best, right. Uh, Dave, what do you like uh, from their their selections?
0: Well, my family, we're popcorn people. You, you are?
1: Know, we always have been
0: popcorn people. That's right. And uh, I just love the fact that they have such delicious popcorn. Uh, in fact, uh, Mrs. Noe was talking about one of the cheddar varieties tonight that they had maybe it's bacon cheddar, maybe just the regular cheddar. Mm-hmm. There's no cellulose, no no powders, nothing artificial or nonsense that is, um, is is put into the popcorn mix. No, it's it, the real deal. It is. Yep. And so I love that bacon cheddar. That's really excellent. And and I'm more of a savory than a sweet guy. Yeah. Uh, but some of their sweet popcorn varieties also excellent, like the butter rum.
1: The butter rum and um, the the two way drizzle. Yeah. That, that's what my 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 boys, you know, kind of sugaraholics love. Of loved, course, right? I'm more of a savory guy yeah, you, too. You've been feeding them Twizzlers, right? So yeah, yeah exactly, nonstop, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but I love the, the Parmesans too. Yeah. And I always consider myself kind of a popcorn purist. Just give me yeah. some little salt, maybe a little bit of butter. But right. this has kind of opened my eyes to a new world. That's right. right. So if you want to uh,
0: enjoy the AN life, like we like to describe you're drinking great coffee, mm-hmm. you're, you're reading great literature, and you're eating great popcorn. Yes. What does the uh, listener need
1: to do? You need to go to PopCityPopcorn.com, um, and pick out the varieties that you that you love. And in the coupon box, you write, you type in A-N-POP, A-N-P-O-P. 20. Uh, A-N-P-O-P 20. Yes, it's A-N-POP 20, Jeff. A-N-POP 20.
0: Let's get this. Now, this is a local concern, isn't it? This is from Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, just down the road, a fur piece. That's right. Yep. And they've been popping this great popcorn, a family-owned business. I think it's our first... Uh, it's our first Michigan-based sponsor, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: So, so we'd a, love it if, you, if you, uh, you give them a shot, uh, right. Or some popcorn. If and- you're
0: enjoying this podcast, uh, we'd be very, very appreciative if you send them a little business. A-N-POP-20.
1: What's the website again? It's popcitypopcorn.com, and it'll get them 20% off their first order.
0: Excellent. All right, Jeff. So as we get back into it, we're almost to the point of uh,
1: Priam's death we are okay, right? So let's talk a little bit about the dangers of deceit, right? So we, were, as we were talking about how um, this this kind of very Roman idea that it's better to meet on the open battlefield than right. to kind of use trickery, um, I, it's it's fascinating that the, the Trojans themselves, you know, in their panic, you know, as they they're waking up and you know hearing the clash of battle and seeing the right. flames, um, they're just trying to decide what to do, right? And so some of these Trojans get together and they decide. Um, the only way we're going to be able to maybe get out of here is to is to disguise ourselves as right.
0: Greeks. Have you ever um, been woken out of a very sound sleep yes. by a, a noise or by a family member? It's ho- it's horrible. It is. Yeah. yeah, I woke up a family member recently uh, so that they could get to a, you know an appointment on time. And I knew that this person was going to react strongly, because <laughs> there. But there was no alternative, right? Yeah. So I said, "So and so, wake up!" And the person just
1: leapt out of
0: bed, <laughs> terrified, yes. you know. And I said, "It's okay. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry." But I, I've experienced that myself. Mm-hmm. It's a, an excruciatingly uncomfortable feeling.
1: Yes, it is, and it's it. You it also it's magnified. I remember a few nights ago, uh, a broom that was just standing up against the wall kind of slid off and hit the ground, Oof. and it, the sound, as I heard as I woke up, it was this this um, cacophony, right? Like, ooh, somebody breaking into the house. Right, like a slap or a shot. But it was just a broom falling over. So it's, you know, everything is kind of amped up, too. That's correct, because yeah.
0: your senses are so lulled, mm-hmm. and the environment is generally quiet, and yeah. then something punctures that environment. So jarring. Yes. Yeah, so this is what happened to, this is where I'm going, this yeah. is what happened to the Trojans that night.
1: Right. So... Um, uh, a few of them decide to, you know, they, they find some, you know, armor scattered about from Greeks that have That's already right. been killed. Let's disguise ourselves as, as Greeks. Let's go moto greco, right? Exactly, right, right. And so here, the Trojans, in a small way, are kind of trying, they're trying their hand at the Greek way of doing things. And I find it so interesting is that Aeneas tells us it's, um, it, it backfires. So one of the um the players here is a, a, a and he, it's his idea, he, uh, Lombardo's translation, he says, let's follow fortune's lead and exchange our armor for gear. Who cares is, if this is deceit or valor? So, isn't it fascinating that he even asked that question? In, right. It, so he's almost kind of giving away the... He's so Virgil's saying, trying
0: to put his, his finger on it for us in case we missed it. Exactly, right. But it's so, not heavy-handed.
1: No, but it's almost like the, he, the, the guy himself is pausing and saying like, ordinarily we wouldn't do this. Right. But it's so desperate. Who cares? Right. Right. And he says, the enemy will supply us with weapons. And so they start, they disguise themselves as Greeks. And what they quickly find is that other Trojans see them. And of course, what do they do? They start shooting arrows at them. Friendly fire. Friendly
0: fire. Yeah, it's not going to work. It's terrible. Mm. Yep.
1: And so the whole thing backfires. Uh, Many of them are killed by their fellow Trojans. Um, Coroibus, he himself ends up being killed. Um, And I thought this was just an interesting detail that Aeneas notes that another one of his friends here, comrades here, Panthus, is killed. And he, uh, Aeneas notes that even his piety did not save him, hmm. uh, and he notes that he was wearing a a fillet of Apollo, and, right? And Apollo so a fillet is, that,
0: is a. I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, a fillet for our audience is a fancy headband. Fancy headband, right? You don't wear it to the tennis court. It's something that you wear to a sacrifice a or sacri- a ritual, You're, right? And it's a like it's a it's a mark or an indicator that says don't shoot. I'm, right, I'm sacred. Exactly, exactly.
1: And that didn't that didn't. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting detail that you know Aeneas here. Pius Aeneas right. notes that one of his, his comrades that the, who apparently was marked by piety himself, it did not save him in this yeah. moment. Yeah.
0: And then we come to the uh the rape of Cassandra. Mm-hmm. a Horrible, horrible uh episode or incident in this uh in this epic. Right. Deeply disturbing.
1: Yes, yeah, so um the the Greeks are kind of making their way up the, the levels of the city. And mm. the way it was Do you um uh, Tolkien guy? Are you yes, a Tolkien that's guy? right. So it reminds well, I know, me... I'm not a Tolkien
0: you know, guy. But do you know... Because like, I don't like all the association. The associate, what, what? What is this? Uh, anything... Anytime anything becomes too popular, I don't want to be associated with it. Oh, I got you. Yeah, I, I got you. Right. But I do know the books. I've read them multiple times. Right. And,
1: but there's a, a city um, yep. that is besieged and taken called Minas Tirith. That's right. And it's also kind of built in kind of these, these layers, these tiers. And the citadel is the very top. It, right. And I often kind of picture that kind of thing happening here. In Troy. The Greeks started at the bottom, and they're making mm-hmm. the way up to the citadel, to the temple, to the, to the palace. Right. And that's where they find Cassandra, and they uh, they tie her up and drag her away by her hair.
0: Right. Can I read some of the Latin there before yeah. you read uh, the Lombardo translation? Sure. Okay, so this goes, So this goes, ten danes lumina frustra, lumina nam teneras palmas.
1: Yes, um, it strikes me that isn't um, the first time that we see Aeneas himself in the epic. He's stretching his hands. And That's other, right. It's almost the it's almost the exact same Latin. You're right. Isn't his right? duplicates palmas, his, yeah.
0: his twin palms. But here they are, the tender palms, the teneras palmas.
1: Yes. And Lombardo translate this, translate this thusly: Never rely on the gods for anything against their will. The next thing we saw was Cassandra, Priam's daughter, being dragged, hair streaming from the shrine of Minerva's temple, lifting to heaven her burning eyes, her eyes only, for her tender hands were bound. Mm. Yeah. Ah, it's a, a brutal scene.
0: And then she's taken back, as we know, she's taken back to Mycenae where she's killed by Clytemnestra. Yeah. An yep. innocent person mistreated by the horrors of war.
1: And not only that's even worse, she can see it coming and, and because of, of her kind of her cursed gift of prophecy. Yes. She sees it coming and can do absolutely nothing about
0: yeah. it. Yeah. That's a story we'll have to tell sometime from uh, Ovid, one of the vignettes, uh, yeah. how she got this prophetic gift from failed romance with yes. Apollo.
1: Yep. Yeah. A lot of a lot of bad things happen when Apollo's uh he, he was a bad breaker upper.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible. So now we come to Hecuba and Priam.
1: Yeah, so Aeneas tells us that uh, women and children are, are shrieking, they're freaking out, they're taking refuge up in the in the Temple of Minerva. Um, and uh, in Lombardo's translation, Aeneas says, I saw Hecuba with her hundred daughters and Priam polluting with his blood the very altars he had con- consecrated himself, which I thought was an interesting detail. And remember last we were talking about right. this idea of kind of this twisting of re- re- this reversal of, of religious um, meaning right. and, and, and meaning of sacrifice. Yeah, the
0: perversion of the ritual.
1: The perversion of the ritual. And so this idea that Pri- Priam, again, completely innocent, you know, he's a victim here, um, polluting with his own blood. He's, cre- he's, he's performing a kind of sacrilege. But not out of any kind of malice. No. Um, but he's he's polluting the, the altar of Minerva with his own blood, and and uh, it, and it's almost like he's setting himself. A, it's a it's a prelude to his own, um, you know, sacrifice at the altar. Right. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's brutal. Um,
0: and then we go on to the the sociopathy of Pyrrhus or Neoptolemus. Yeah,
1: I thought this was really interesting. Is that. Um, so Achilles has a son. Which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he does not. So he, uh, uh, Virgil calls him Pyrrhus uh, or Neoptolemus. Right. Uh, same guy. He does not figure in the Iliad, right? Do, do we even hear about? No, Achilles I don't believe. So. I don't believe so. So he's he's a uh, he's kind of a a newish character on the scene. Not that you know Virgil invents him.
0: No, he's part of the epic tradition. He's not right. part of the Iliad, to my knowledge. I also was kind of shocked because I I thought when I first read this. And maybe other readers have this experience that Achilles was a youngish man. Yeah. Right? That Achilles was maybe 25, 26. So how could he have a full-grown son who's involved in battle? Right. And, you know, most of the Hollywood portrayals, Achilles is a younger man. But in order for the timeline to work, now here you're going to say, that's not a question you're supposed (laughs) to ask. But I'm I'm not going to play my own game here. I'm going to break the rules. He'd have to be in his mid thirties in order for, or later for Neoptolemus to be old enough to be involved in battle.
1: At least, right? I think it's one of those details that I'm surely, sure, you know, Homer was aware of, but he ignores. Mm-hmm. Um, the same the ideal with kind of the business of Achilles and his heel. Homer never mentions. That. No. Um, but yeah, it's it is it just kind of it does kind of pause to say, well, wait, you know, how old was he when how you got that there? Work? Right? You know, did he? Um. You know, it was Neoptolemus brought over when he was a kid, and he kind of grew up at Troy. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to. It is.
0: It's hard to square. But he's not in the tent, you know, in the famous scene in no. Book Nine of the Iliad. He's nowhere to be found. No,
1: he's nowhere, yeah exactly. You would think
0: if he were Achilles' son, he'd be around there somewhere, right. carrying firewood or roasting marshmallows or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I thought this was fascinating. That I mean, he's a he's a psychopath uh, in this scene
0: would you say that he's the embodiment of all the worst aspects of his father?
1: Yes, I mean he I think and I thought this was 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 fascinating that he's he kind of imbe- he embodies that man in the rage right. right um that Achilles um that you know kind of forms Achilles um, in the in the Iliad. But I thought this was very interesting that you know Achilles rage as horrific as it was there was a reason for it right he went after hector because hector killed patroclus that's right hector
0: killed an innocent child yes in uh, achilles eyes
1: in achilles eyes right so there was there was kind of a locus for his rage mm-hmm. and as priam even tries to remind Pyrrhus in the moment he says listen you're, even your father set aside his, even your father gave hector's body back
0: right yeah the famous scene in uh, book what is it uh, i don't know 22 23 yeah The ransom of Hector in the tent of Achilles. Right.
1: It's where we see Achilles become human again. Correct. And Priam's trying to remind him of this. And and, um, Pyrrhus is just, nope, you're a dead man. Right. And I thought this was so fascinating that he's an embodiment of kind of the worst of his father's rage. But it has... Pri- Why is he going after Priam? Is it just simply, it, it's bloodlust, right? Yeah. I mean, yes, it's the- also a
0: kind of a prize idea, you know, to kill the king of the whole enterprise. Yes.
1: But to do it in a temple at an altar, I mean, there's all of... Uh, an old of-
0: man, what in- kind of glory is there in killing a helpless opponent on the altar? Right.
1: There's, there's no glory, I think, that in this. And I think that even, um, you know, maybe even Achilles at the height of his rage would even have recognized that this is a, this is a, a bridge too far.
0: Now, Jeff, when you teach this epic, how do your students usually react? Do they they ever say, "Oh, this just glorifies violence"?
1: I have that when I teach the Iliad, um, uh, particularly when I ask my students, you know, have you read this before? You know, some of them will read pieces of it in, like, you know, ninth grade, or, or, or um, more often, they're they're familiar with the with movie portrayals, and it's often it's kind of usually my male students who will kind of look at this as kind of, uh, yeah, kind of the. War is war is cool, right? The kind of the, the clash of swords and, and spears. Right. It, it, it's kind of as an element of.
0: They start making lightsaber sounds.
1: R- exactly right. So they they like kind of the heroism of it, but yeah. often kind of their what does is, what is, you know where does that go? Um, what do you mean by the heroism? What do you mean by by courage? It's often very, very shallow. Okay. And so, you know, they'll often take their takeaway from the Iliad is that's kind of a glorification of war. Right. And it's one but of what, my, do you, what do you think about that? Wo- one of the goals of the teachers is to, is is to show them that it's in it's really quite the opposite of okay. that. That it's the it's the futility of right. war. It's it's like in Achilles' case, it's the ability of war to turn a man into a monster. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that's all on the page here
0: yeah so the so, man into the monster is neoptolemus neoptolemus right yeah.
1: and and he and he does not we do not see him set aside the monster and regain his humanity like his dad did and this this scene which i would i would vote for um so the most chilling scene in this book perhaps the most chilling scene in the whole epic is where um you know priam who uh first uh uh pyramus spears one of Priam's children right in front of him right and Priam, so that one
0: goes down. Goes, now Priam is standing in a, in blood.
1: He's standing in blood. He's at the, as at the altar. He's kind of pathetically in his, in his old armor. Right. Um.
0: This is just trophy armor that was hung in the halls, never meant
1: to be used. Right. It just kind of adds to kind of the, the, the oddity, the pathos. Uh, right. To it. And he, uh, Priam, in that moment, you know, he she tries to remind Pyrrhus you know, even mm. your, even your dad set aside his rage. Even your dad gave, you know, Hector's body back to me. And, um, and then what Pyrrhus says to him is just before he kills him, in Lombardo's translation, he says, "Uh, well, then you can take this news to my father, you know, in the underworld, right? Right. The son of of Peleus. Be sure to tell him about my sad behavior and how degenerate his son has become. Now die. And so saying, he dragged Priam trembling and slipping in his son's blood up to the altar, winding his left hand in the old man's hair. With his right, he lifted his flashing sword and buried it up to its hilt in his side yeah
0: in priam's side. in priam's side yeah
1: i mean those those lines there um, the, the dripping dark sarcasm you just, oh you make sure when you see my dad tell him how uh, how a bad of a boy i've become yeah I, desperate uh, it's desperate it's it's horrific right and if we think about even that scene in book 11 of the odyssey where odysseus meets the ghost of achilles right uh, achilles um um, he has a very different message. A very different message. Yeah, don't
0: right. don't throw everything into war. No, it's better to serve above than be a king down You're here. Down here, right? Life so, is worth living, even in a in a very limited and uh, captive state. Right, and Not so Pyrrhus's
1: attitude. Exactly right, and so you you have to think that Virgil's original audience would have known Odyssey Book Eleven very very well, and maybe even Virgil intends for them to think about that um, Neoptolemus. Doesn't understand his own father mm. at all. Mm.
0: Right. Should we read a little bit of that Latin?
1: Yeah, w- would you do that for us? Yeah, I'd yeah. love to do yeah.
0: that. rus referecer gaiket nuntius ibis, peli di genetordri ali mea tristia facta, degener remquene optalumum narrardremamento, nunc more rocti, canes altariad ipsa tremendem, troxitet in multo lapsantem sanguinati. There's that. That part there, right? Yeah. Lapsantem sanguinati, having slipped in the blood of his son. Yeah. Implica wit dextrae quacordruscum ex ac capalo tenis abdidit ensem. Yeah. Yeah, buried the sword. Abdidit ensem.
1: Right. And never forgetting that this is taking place not on the battlefield, but at the altar of Minerva. Yeah. Can, can, a perverted sacrifice.
0: Well, it's like the scene in, uh, is it the second godfather? Where there's the murder at the uh, that's going on while they're showing the mass.
1: I, I think that's the first. Is that's, that the that's first right. one? Yes, exactly.
0: The, it's switching back and forth between the two perspectives. The yeah. the family is celebrating mass in, yeah. in the cathedral, in the church.
1: You've seen The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all three. All three. Oh, I'm sorry about the third one. Yeah, but, so is everyone else. But um, you, that's a great corollary. That's a brilliant mm, scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. But it doesn't take place there, but you get to see the two things juxtaposed. Juxtaposed, right? yeah. So Pyrrhus is what his father would have been if he had survived.
1: Well, I, you know, I don't know. It's, I, I think we're supposed to see that you know, Pyrrhus is a is an extremely unworthy heir to his father's um, his father's heroism, such as it was. You know, Achilles mm. set aside his monstrousness at least in that moment. Mm. Um, Pyrrhus has not learned, and. Maybe never will learn what mm. that exactly that means.
0: Right? So at this moment of profundity and high pathos, mm. should we engage in some crass commercialism?
1: Oh, what did you have in mind? What are you gonna, what are you interrupting this for?
0: Well, because, Jeff, <laughs> yeah? I just read some Latin, and maybe some of our audience would like to learn how to do that, too.
1: Oh, of course. Right. You're talking about LLPSI. Yes, I am. No, Lingua you're... Latina per se illustrata.
0: Tell they us need, about it. Well, they need to go to, well, you changed your tune quickly. <laughs> they need to go to latinperdm.com and check out a lot of my free instruction. Uh, latinperdmcom slash L-L-P-S-I, and you can sign up for my course, $199. It goes ab initio. I like to say, from the ground up, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can gain real skill in reading Latin. Eventually, you can learn how to scan poetry. You can come to our uh, our weekly office hours, and I can teach you how to scan the very first day if you're up for it.
1: Scanning on the first day. Sure, I can teach that. Fantastic. In an
0: hour's time, you can learn to do it. It's really not difficult.
1: Yeah, excellent. Check it out.
0: All right. So we got to wrap up here pretty soon, we Jeff. Do. But where are we headed as we wind down?
1: Well, Aeneas himself is—you know—he's—he's he's watching. He's seeing all of this, and um, you know, despite what the ghost of Hector has told him, he still seems really frozen. Yeah, right? I, I think that's idea that the that, ghost
0: of Hector appeared to him bedraggled, right? Yes, and and Aeneas at that point didn't know Hector was dead.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. Exactly. This is the
0: first indication. I, his beard was clotted with blood because he'd been dragged around the city and all of that. Yeah. Uh, didn't know he was dead,
1: and um, and he tells him. He, I think it's the first time that Aeneas hears that mm-hmm. um, you, he, and actually, you need to get out of here. God know,
0: is born. Quit the city.
1: Quit the city. You, you've got new walls to build somewhere right. else. Uh, but he still seems he doesn't know what to do. You know, even that scene that uh, you know the the our article too is that you know what is Aeneas doing? He's watching this. He watches this this murder of Priam. Why is he just standing yeah. there? Right? Well, it's
0: the definition of a nightmare, right? You must have had those dreams, nightmares where you're trying to run or something and your legs won't move. You have some urgent thing to do, but you don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. I have this
0: experience.
1: Exactly. While there are kind of swans juggling pickles in the periphery and (laughs) uh, Uh, all kinds of other... Mine are not
0: usually quite that absurd, but there's some pressing thing I have to do and I'm physically incapable of doing it. I know that dream. Overcome with some kind of torpor. Right. Yeah, so and yes, I use words like torpor, torpor. In, in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Aeneas is experiencing.
1: So he he's just simply frozen by the horror of it. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I I I, I think that's I think that's the, an astute reading of this. But he's still he's um, beyond that scene, he's torn. Do I stay and and fight and likely die in some kind of, you know, heroic but um um failed mm-hmm. last stand? Right. Or do I cut and run? Right. I think he's he's um he's trying to, you know, what Where's the Where's the valor in this? Where's the piety in this? Right. What's my action here? Right,
0: and there, I think there are two major episodes remaining that we're going to have to get to in the next episode of the podcast. Okay, and the last two episodes are the encounter with Helen, yes, and then Creusa, who gets lost in the shuffle, and she also appears to him in a dream. Right. Right. And there's some deep pathos there, of course. Yes,
1: and I'd also like to cover this fascinating um, past where his Venus, his mom, shows up again. Yes, and kind of lifts the veil from his eyes and kind of shows him, you know, encouraging him to leave. Says, "Look, these are what the gods are doing right now right. that you can't even see." To kind of show him how desperate and hopeless this is. Mm.
0: Yeah, mm. it's like uh, it's like Hebrew uh, scriptures in some ways where. People's eyes are open to see what's really going on. You know, the, the horses and chariots of Israel are marching through the treetops. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's in, uh, I don't know, First Chronicles. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a spiritual world that's going on and you can't see it. But if your eyes are open, suddenly you realize this is it.
1: Yes. But that will have to wait until yes. time. Yes. All we're, right. We're up against it. All right. So, um, before we get out of here, though, Dave, yeah. would you tell us something about the Moss Method? What? More crass commercialism?
0: More crass. I craven. Thought this, I thought this was about uh, the literary life, not filthy lucre.
1: <laughs> A little bit of lucre along the way. Is not, there's nothing wrong with that. I love to say the word
0: lucre because it's so ridiculously spelled. L-U-C-R-E? Yeah. It's like B-
1: Brett Favre. 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 Yeah, yeah.
0: Some filthy lucre. <laughs> You, too, can play for the Minneapolis, uh, the Minnesota Vikings.
1: Vikings, and, yes. Because that's
0: where he ended up, you know.
1: He, di- he did, He was, but he was most famous as a packer. That's correct. Yes, yes.
0: Speaking of packers, if you want to study Greek, <laughs> you need to go to mossmethod.com, check out all my free instruction, and sign up for the course. We've got some good response lately. People signing up, coming to the mophis Hours on Friday. I take them from... What do I take them from? Neoprene?
1: No, It's from a neophyte.
0: Uh, to yeah. what? Creosote?
1: Uh,
0: erudite. Erudite. Yes. All right. All right. So it's it's neophyte to erudite. Yes. Okay. It costs $325. Mm-hmm. Can you tell them about the mophis Hours? This seems to be your favorite part.
1: This is where on Friday... Where you send in some, just some generic flunky. Flanky. Flanky to talk to the, wait, no, there's no flanky. There's no flanking. No There's, flanking? No, no, you're, you're there. I got to go myself? Dave is there. Okay. And he's hosting the office hours on, on Friday where people- Do from, I hold forth? You hold forth, and you but you get to meet people from around the world. That's right. Reading Greek together. It's, yes. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. How
0: come you haven't joined us yeah, yet, like, Jeff? Nobody's invited me. Maybe I should send you the Zoom link and just think how this class would explode.
1: Could I pop in? kind of bomb the, yeah, you the could. office hours? Photo
0: bomb <laughs> the office hours? Because <laughs> people looked, are thinking, yeah, no, we, but I want to interact with the Winkle. Yeah, I can, I can understand that. He's this, the funny I mean, one. That's
1: right. That's right. So if they go to mossmethod.com, they can find all this stuff. That's right. They can sign up for the course. Excellent. All right. Who who do we got to thank?
0: Well, uh, we need to thank Mishka, our sound engineer, who puts this together so nicely. She's having a little bit of uh, tech issues this week, but she's going to get through them. Okay. And then she's going to put together a lovely podcast.
1: She always does such a nice job. Yes, she
0: does. We need to thank uh, Scott Van Zen, who's Mm -hmm. a, a cross between... Uh, Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan, guy can play the blues. Yeah, like like yeah. no other.
1: The guys, the guy's amazing.
0: Yes, gives us uh, all this music. And Ken Tamplin uh, of the famous Vocal Academy, who gives us the bumper music and composed, I think, all the music that appears on the podcast. And he gives us the gurgle music, too.
1: That's great. And yep. do yourself a favor, check out his vocal reactions. Yeah, they're to, funny, to, aren't they? Uh, to various vocals. He's he's so he's so witty. Yeah. And he knows what he's talking he about. He
0: absolutely does. Yeah. Five octave range. Yeah. Incredible singing. Amazing.
1: Singer. Yeah. All right, so hey, um, if you want to get a shout out like Mr. Rodney Croom got on the top of this uh, of this episode, you should drop us a note. Yes, write to Dave at dave@adnaziom.com. At Don't forget the V. Or Jeff at adnaziom.com.
0: There's a V in adnaziom too. And uh, you know, tell Jeff what you like about him, and uh, you know, how does he put up with me? And you know. You love the show you love his contributions do that kind of thing
1: and Rodney in his email he gave us a suggestion of, of some things that he would like to hear on the show oh you're
0: just mentioning that because it was about your dissertation
1: well that was uh, well now that you break it up <laughs>
0: this <laughs> thing from your mind
1: right. but we love that kind of stuff That's we, wa- right. we want to hear what you're interested in and we're always uh, we always love ideas for 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 new shows yeah you yep. could go
0: to the website ad nauseum.com. you could pick up a kwai nokent dokent t-shirt or some other paraphernalia
1: very stylish comes in different colors and um, whatever size. Size you need, and where are we going next week with episode eighty-seven? Well, we're gonna finish up book two. I promise we're gonna finish up oh, book two. Oh, well, I don't know. And We've made a lot of crazy promises. I know, and maybe even make some strides into book three. Would three? it be? Would it I be? think
0: I think that follows two.
1: Yes, two. Uh, we'll finish up two, and we'll get into three.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, we're probably going to interrupt this uh, Aeneid. Uh, you know this travel through the Aeneid at some point, aren't we, and do some other things? Yeah, like, keep the people listening.
1: Exactly. We You don't want to suffer from Virgil fatigue. No, I like, no. can't imagine such a thing. But if it a, were to happen,
0: a case of VF. Yes. And Jeff, I believe you have the gustatory parting shot to take us out.
1: Yes, this comes from Justin Swap in his um, his book, The Shadow Servant. He writes, "You never cook. You never cook onions with your beans. That's a recipe for tear gas." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.